Another week of Behind the Lens. I'm Debbie Lynn Elias, Movie Shark DeBlore. Find me somewhere, find me anywhere. Find you everywhere. Everywhere. <laughs> this week, I think it is. And my cinematic cohort is back. Greg Srizavazdi yes. is here. Good F- to be here. Really? Yeah, kind of good to be here. No. Kind of? I'm waking up. I'm waking up. I just had coffee, so, yeah. I haven't had any yet. You haven't had any yet. I haven't had a chance. You know, it takes time to make it. You haven't had coffee because you've been busy watching tons of shorts, tons of indies. So have you, do you have a count of within the last, since last Monday, how many films you've seen around Ballpark? Um, Since last Monday, I saw 31 festival features. I saw 27 festival shorts. Whoa. Um, Then I saw 10 other features that I had to see in order to do interviews, um, two of which, one of which we're going to have today, uh, the mm. filmmakers of a slam dance uh, favorite, which is, it harkens to the early Dude uh, Plus Brothers Mumblecore. Okay. Lead actress is very Greta Gerwig. It's called Diamond Tongues. Mm. So we're going to have uh, Pavan Mundi and Brian Robertson with us at 1130. Cool. And that was one of the ones I also squeezed in. So I'm running about this week. In the, in the past week, um, you know, over 40 features and then <laughs> 27 shows. I can, I, you know, to, I'll be honest, I, I can never do that. That's amazing. That's really amazing. And and then I moderated a Q&A for the Arclight Cinema Slam Dance, Arclight Slam Dance Cinema Club last night. How did that go? I was, that was, yeah. that was a really, it was a very subdued Q&A because of the subject matter. Uh, the films that we, that showed last night were Huntington's Dance. And then the lion's mouth opens, um, mm. to a, which was a short, both about Huntington's disease, oh, and okay. both featuring the subject matters. The subjects of the film have the genetic uh, disposition for it. Chris Furby, oh. who did Huntington's Dance, it's an eighteen. It took eighteen years to make the film. He chronicled his mother who suffered from Huntington's disease and eventually passed from it. Right. His grandfather passed from it, and he has it. So, Oh, my goodness. It has yeah. been an 18-year journey with that. And mm. then um, mm. an old friend of ours, Lucy Walker, director of Tsunami and the, Cher- and the Cherry Blossoms, Okay, and oh. several other powerful documentaries. Lucy directed the short, uh, The Lion's Mouth Opens. And that also, it's about a young actress that, you know, she now has the gene. It doesn't mean it's going to manifest, but it's it's a it's a short of her experience with the initial stages, too. And we were very fortunate to have Giselle Pettinger, uh, who is one of the leading doctors and scientists in brain and neurological disorders, Huntington disease, Parkinson, uh, Parkinson's, CJD. So it was really powerful and interesting last night. Oh, that's amazing! Yeah, so the the crowd was subdued, but definitely into very much what they were so. Seeing. Yeah, and uh, and then tonight will be, I'm sure, a lot lighter and looser. Uh, is Diamond Tongues is tonight's feature, and I'll be there with the boys. But we get to talk to them first here today at 11:30. Yeah. But yeah. before them at 11:15, I'm so excited. Originally, she was going to try and join us last week. Amber Benson, mm. Buffy the Vampire Slayer alum. Right out of the world of Whedon. Um, but Amber had other commitments last week, but she's going to call us 1115, talk about her short film, mm-hmm. 
that has been at Dances with Films is in Los Angeles Film Festival and has been in the Etheria Film Festival. It's called Shevenge. And her cast is amazing. She's got uh, Emmy Ryland, who yeah. soap opera fans will know as Lulu Spencer Falconeri on General Hospital. Okay. And Eugene Bird, one of everyone's favorite squint turns on Bones. He plays Dr. Clark Addison on Bones. Amber cast them in this short. Now, was there a time in your life when you were really into soaps? And if so, how long did that last? Because for me... I was really into All My Children maybe for about three, four years during my late high school through college years. So it took up a big part of my, my space, my time. Uh, I have been so. watching General Hospital since the very first episode. But I'm sure you've taken breaks. You don't watch every single – that much, do you? That do much. You, you, uh, I, com- yeah. I, come of the, I come of the era in college where – Classes were not scheduled because it was the height of the Luke and Laura fame. Right, of course. And yeah. we had no classes. None were scheduled okay. when, during the, the hour that General Hospital was on. My grandmother was so obsessed with General Hospital. And a, a lot of the cast, Finola Hughes knows this. Tyler Christopher knows <laughs> yeah. this. Tony Geary may even remember this story from years ago. And some of the younger actors... Hmm. My grandmother actually walked in the doctor's office once and said, I know I have this because Jesse on General Hospital has it. Wow. Wow. And, yeah, as, it, yeah. and as it turned out, it was a good thing she did that and that that's what sparked her because she did, in fact, she needed to be, she did, in fact, have what Jesse was afflicted with. So your love for General Hospital came from your grandmother then that was a direct link or my mother watched it my grandmother watched it my grandmother in georgia watched it um (laughs) that's amazing that's great though and over the years you know yeah starting 30 some years ago i got to meet start meeting a lot of the cast and we've stayed in touch and tyler christopher i'm happy that who plays prince nicholas cassadine and has since the 80s um tyler is a friend and uh What's amazing is you get to grow with the actors yeah. and the storylines and the, the writers, that whole lineage. Yeah. That must be a great thing for you. So, so yeah. It's a big no. investment. It's a big... But that is, that is my, you know, as, as we know with my schedule, I can't watch live. Okay. So I try and do catch-ups on VOD. Okay. Okay. Cool. When I can. That's awesome. That's great. Yeah. But, you know, this is a big, this is a big year for General Hospital. You know, now mm. in its 52nd year, mm. 51st year. Tony Geary is leaving after 37 years. He's announced his retirement. So uh, they're doing a huge, huge send-off for for Tony with uh, a Luke Spencer storyline. Jeannie Francis has now returned to reprise her role of Laura. (laughs) So uh, I know the fans are all hoping that Luke and Laura will ride off in the sunset together. So, okay, but we'll cool. see. But yeah. a lot of old faces. Uh, they're trying to get Tristan Rogers back. Wow! Oh, yeah, uh, I remember that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, to, yeah. to reprise, uh, Emma Sams has already shot her scenes. Wow. Returning is Holly Scorpio. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, it, it's a big, big, big summer on General Hospital. Nice, nice. So, yeah. but that's behind the scenes of General <laughs> Hospital, <laughs> behind the lens of General Hospital. <laughs> but we've also got, you know. We're going behind the lens here. You know, one of the things that you know mm. I, I'm very, very proud of that happened at LA Film Festival this mm. weekend was the Future Filmmaker Showcase and the first annual Ed Elias Future Filmmaker Award. Right. And uh, I am, I'm very proud of these. Uh, the award is created in honor of my father, mm. uh, the immortal Tubby himself, 59 years in broadcast television in uh, Philadelphia, WFIL, WPVI. 
Uh, I'm very proud to be part of the Disney family. Yes, people, when you watch the video, yes, we are surrounded with Disney. <laughs> <laughs> no, but the award, obviously the origins came from you, but what were some of the most important lessons you learned about broadcasting and reporting? You know, yeah. basically, you know, the biggest thing for me was the fact that it was just a natural part of my life. And there was always television equipment around when I was making sh mm -hmm. uh, student films, short films. You know, we had, I was, you know, editing and splicing reel-to-reel -reel sound <laughs> in the basement. I didn't have to make time or go find equipment or r reserve a space at the film lab. Yeah. At school. In high school, we had an incredible television program, Colonial School District. Um, Plymouth White Marsh High School, they still have a great program. Uh, for television, uh, radio, television, and film, there, uh, CITV studios. But in my day, uh, it was run by Ken Selinger, uh, who is still in the production business back east, okay. and his son is in his footsteps. I think they handle, they do remote uh, mobile trucks now. Oh wow! Well, that yeah, my yeah. brother, who is at Tribune, works with them all the time and utilizes their equipment. So, but uh, no, my dad. It was. I always had, it was just part of my life, having mm -hmm. access, having, a, you know, you know, an ABC owned and operated station, you know, to go play in, to walk around in, mm -hmm. to meet people, to expose me to some of the greatest newsmen in the business. Yeah. Um, and you just kind of gain all that. And, you know, my dad, very surreptitiously from small on, we'd sit and we'd watch movies together. Oh, and he'd say, all right, yeah. now. What what is that? Tell me. Tell me about the black and white. Tell me about the shading. Tell me about oh, okay. tell me about the frame. Tell me where that camera is. And not everybody, you know, young filmmakers today, they don't have that kind of tacit mentorship. Right. So right. this is just a way for me to help pay it back and pay it forward. So on on paying it back and paying it forward, your father was a huge movie buff then, as far as the composition of the frames? He, or with television, film, okay. I mean, I can't tell you, over the years, when he would be home at night, and they're mm. broadcasting the news live, he would be on the phone calling the station, calling Master Control, and going, no, clean that up. That camera looks really bad. Why is she wearing that color on air? So, okay. he yeah. was, he was, it was ingrained in him 24-7, the technical aspects of television and filmmaking. So, and it kind of rubbed off. And what's great is this award actually spotlights young filmmakers and their help helps nurture their visions along right. the way, right? And I'm very happy that in tandem with that, starting next week, we're going to kick off a summer of fun with future filmmakers. Mm -hmm. And I've invited throughout the summer all of the future filmmakers to call in live if they want to okay. come to if they want to come to the studio they can but they can they're going to get a chance to call in live yeah. feel find out what it feels like to go through the interview process talk about their film <laughs> and i have yeah. to tell you some of these films are just they are better than films that have distribution deals in place mm. these mm. kids are so creative so inventive one of my favorites i was telling you earlier Theo Taplett, sixth grade student, 12 years old, did a short film called Serial Killers, gave an answer about why he selected Fruit Loops as his cereal mm. that would Marty Scorsese would be so proud of. Another young filmmaker who won the Edelized Future Filmmaker Narrative Film Award, um, Michelle Miles, a documentary called Beatrix, very much in the style of Albert Maisel's Iris, 
uh, on Iris Apfel that we yeah. just saw. Stunning, stunning work. Um, we're actually going to kick off next week. Joining us are going to be two of my favorite people um, who did a film called Old Tricks. Another Theo. Mm. We're just loaded. We're just loaded with, with <laughs> you know, these these great kids. Theo Buckwald. Um, amazing film. He even got legendary character actor Joe Spano in the film. No dialogue. Yeah. It's all visual. It's gorgeous. Wow. I love it. Yeah. But Theo's going to be calling in next week along with his producing partner, Amanda. Um, That's amazing. You're, you're a kid. You're promising uh, filmmaker. And you get Mr. Spano to... You yeah, know, your film. That's, that's, that's just it. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, we have another young filmmaker who won uh, one of the awards, um, Katie Spear. She did this incredible seven-minute mm. short called Mask using a mirror, uh, just a piece of glass mounted to a camera and a whole makeup removal oh, thing. Wow. It's okay. a, it's a okay. little mini music video, which was great. Nice. Yeah. Katie is actually joining us later this summer. She's heading off to Cambodia. Uh, to to work on a documentary that idea that she has. So when she comes back from Cambodia, Katie's going to join us. Amazing. To yeah. talk about her experiences in Cambodia. So this is I have to give a shout out to Maggie McKay at Film Independent who did who programmed the Future Filmmaker Showcases, and Maggie picked the winners. We ended up with six winners in all, mm -hmm. three major winners, and then three special mentions all of whom got money because I believe that inequality for all. <laughs> so, but it was an incredible day. These kids are amazing and I can't wait to, you know, follow a lot of them on their careers and to stay in touch and work with some of them. Some are already sending me more shorts to look at. Yeah. And you know, the, you know, these kids, these, these film, I'm going to call them filmmakers. That, that's exactly the, uh, what they Filmmakers, they're going to probably take some of that money and use it on some of their just equipment as well so that's gonna be great they were already a couple of them were already talking about using the money to you know work on another film oh, that's so which awesome. is ideally yeah. what i hoped they would do yeah. and that i know were here that you know tubby would definitely want done <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. so yeah. this is you know really exciting so I'm on board, and I've already talked to Maggie and to Film Independent President Josh Welch. Despite some of the other shortcomings that have ha that happened before the festival mm -hmm. began, right? The future filmmakers makes it all worthwhile. So you see this being a through line for quite a while. Yeah. Okay. That's yeah. very. I I can't wait to to meet them, or you know whether they call in or come in. Yeah. I'm gonna I, learn a lot from them about filmmaking. So. I mean, what they can, and what yeah. they know about te about equipment and technical stuff. Yeah, they'll kill Whoa. me. Yeah, they're amazing. I'll learn. <laughs> but I, I do have to say that, you know, Theo, who did Serial Killer, mm -hmm. huge shout out to his parents because he has something that everyone thought was a special effect of a hand coming up through a bowl of cereal. Right. It was not an effect. His mother let him cut a hole in the kitchen table and then crawled under the table herself and used her <laughs> hand to come up. Right. Not every mother will let you yeah. cut a hole in your kitchen table, but his mom did. And that's one of the great things because the parents are supporting the kids too. Mm -hmm. So that is very dear to my heart. Those are the best special effects, the ones that are real. The practical ones. So the practical ones. Well, right? sp oh. speaking of special effects here, I have the delightful, the delightful She-Venger herself, Amber Benson. <laughs> Hi. 
Hi. Hi, Amber. I saw you were wandering around the filmmaker reception at LAFF the other night, weren't you? I, I was. I was. I was looking for food. I, I looked for the free food at these things. You know, because I thought I saw you there, and I was talking with another bunch of filmmakers, and I was trying to make my way over to you, and it just, you know, that event was so chocked with, with filmmakers that it's impossible to meet up and talk with everybody. It's true, and I was on my way to see uh, Drea Clark's uh, OK Go video chat. I really wanted to see how they did all those amazing OK Go videos, so I would be a nerd. <laughs> and what people, you know, a lot of people, for those tuning in, for those that are going to listen on the archive, for those that will be watching the video podcast later, you know, you know the name of Amber Benson from the world of Whedon, you know. True. Our, 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 <laughs> our beloved Tara, our, our beloved Good Witch Tara. Um, and I have to, I have to say, Amber, now that you have stepped behind the camera as a director, um, I see Joss Whedon influences in your work. <laughs> I don't think you can, you can spend any time with a man and not be influenced in some capacity. He uh, is very genius at what he does. And I don't use that term lightly. Well, talk about genius. I mean, she Venge, you were dances with film, Aww. dances with films with it, um, Etheria with it. Now, uh, Los Angeles Film Festival with it. And as I emailed your publicist, uh, as I emailed to Mel, I'm in little pig heaven watching your, <laughs> watching your short. Because not only is it great, it's funny, it's tinged with the world of Whedon influences, but your cast, you get General Hospital's Emmy Ryland in there. And yeah. you get, Bo you know, one of our beloved squint turns from Bones, Eugene Byrne. <laughs> I mean, this is how did you put Shevenge together? And for those listening, yes, yeah, Shevenge is exactly that. Revenge, <laughs> she. That's that says it all for you, folks. But tell me how um, how this came together in your hands, Amber, because I, I'm just so in love with this short film. Aw, <laughs> you're lovely. Thank you. I, it makes me really happy that people uh, appreciate the the time and effort we put into into making the film. Um, we made it for very, we made it on a shoestring in three days, and it was insane. But uh, I was a done for hire. Uh, the girls who uh, star in the film and produced it, or women, I should say, because they are awesome, strong, empowered ladies, they uh, had a concept that they uh, brought to our writer, David Greenman, and he wrote the script, and uh, they brought me on board. They really wanted to find a female director, and uh, Heidi Honeycutt from Etheria had uh, recommended me. So I met with them, and I loved the short uh, script, and I was like, I, I'd love to be involved in this. Um, and that was sort of how it all came into being. And Eugene Bird and I have been friends for many, many years. When we were when we were young, <laughs> young, young actors, we were on a TV show called Promised Land together. I did an episode of that, so I've known him. The one with for Gerald, many moons. yeah, Promised Land with Gerald McRaney. Exactly. And Celeste Holm, yes. <laughs> Gerald, Gerald, I, I actually got to work with Gerald years ago. I did some pickup work on Simon and Simon. And over the oh. years, Gerald and I reconnect every once in a while. So, yeah. Lovely man. Such a sweetheart. And Simon and Simon was a big, uh, was a big influence on me when I was a kid. I'm a, I'm a murder mystery detective junkie. So, Ooh, <laughs> join the club. <laughs> now, now, something that really eye-popping your visuals in Shevenge are just the saturation the color the surreal fantasies you're mixing up black and white punctuating it with reds how did you go about divine dis, uh, 
deciding on the visual look of this short because it is so distinctive. And oh, thank you. It, it was it was inherent in the script. They the girls and and uh, and David really wanted it to to have very defined looks for each fantasy sequence. And then E. Gustavo Peterson, who was our DP, who came on board and just killed it. Um, and we shot on the five B. Nice. So, no, it was not. It was not. We weren't using an Alexa. We weren't, you know, high end at all. And everything we did was uh, was was Gustavo in camera, and then our our color correction was really important. We spent a lot of time getting everything in order and playing with with things. We really wanted to. The first one is black and white with mm-hmm. with pops of red, very yep. much like Sin City, and then. We went for the Douglas Sirk feel for the the sort of Madman inspired middle section. I just love those, you know, hot house dramas. Those the sort of like Technicolor saturated pieces. And then the last piece was uh, was sort of inspired by seventies horror. And then some of the Adam Wingard stuff. Mm-hmm. Your next and uh, the I, guest. I definitely saw the Adam kind of influence going on there with that one. And I'm glad you mentioned Douglas Sirk because. His look, it is so distinctive, and that that segment, the one that stars Emmy, really, yeah. Emmy and Eugene, really, really does that. It, you really encapsulate that whole look and vibe of Cirque in that short little section. Oh, thank you. That was what we were going for. I, you know, I had seen uh, 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 Far from Heaven also, and and I had seen what they had done and how they were able to sort of emulate. And uh, I was like, we're going for that. So I was pulling pictures from that and from the actual Douglas Sirk stuff to show my the, the guy that did our color correction. He was amazing. Oh, I mean, and I'm so glad you went with you know with the with the red um, because it's small enough that Eric and and your camera and your camera guy could actually manipulate and really get some beautiful dutching and great fluidity with the flow. We- yeah, we tried to, you know, with where we set up the camera and how we use the camera, each sequence is kind of different. We have mm-hmm. a very handheld feeling for the last one. We were, you know, moving a lot for the uh, for, for the, uh, the the action sequence. We were constantly, you know, we must have done 50 setups in one day. And we were really lucky. America Young was our stunt coordinator and fight scene choreographer, and she was amazing. She just made that whole sequence come to life. I mean, the whole thing. And how beneficial is it for you? You're working, you know, not only with a friend, somebody like Eugene, but you're mm-hmm. working with fellow television veterans that understand, you know, the immediacy and the need for retakes and the need also to, when you have to, save money, save time and keep going. Yeah, well, Emmy, you know, how they how they do it on the the, uh, the the soap operas is amazing. It just doesn't stop. I mean, they new stuff every every day, and they're learning pages and pages. So so M just like jumped in. I was like, you're going to get on the table. <laughs> you're going to just like lose your mind. And I, I, you know, she cried. Like she got emotional. She got where she needed to get, and it was just beautiful. I loved directing her. Yeah, well, I was surprised to not see you in front of the camera as well. <laughs> Are you not brave enough to direct yourself yet? Oh, I've done that. I've been there, done that. And uh, you don't get to enjoy the process of directing. You're too busy trying to focus on the acting while you're directing. So it's split. And it's just to me, it's just not as much fun. I love being able to just get up in the morning, throw some yucky clothes on. And, and I always wear a hat. I don't know why. I have, a, I have like this fetish. I need like my hat, my directing hat. And then I can, you know, just sort of like hang around and, and if I don't want to take a shower that morning, I don't have to. It's great. 
You know, when filmmakers ever come up to you and ask you about uh, the challenges of making in a project like your project, is is there advantages in shooting on a shoestring budget with something like the 5D? Would you do that again? Is it is it um, a visual aesthetic that you like and a camera you like? Um, I love using that camera. I, I like you know as as you were saying earlier, it's a small camera. We can sort of do anything we want with it. Just drag it around, put it on you know uh, sticks. You can throw it on a dolly. You know you can put it on a skateboard if you want, or a wheelchair, anything you want, and it just goes. Um, I think as as an independent filmmaker, if you can keep your budget really low, it's it's just it's smart business. The more you, you, you bloat your budget and the more money that's going out, the less chance you have to be autonomous. You have other people who are involved. They want to make sure the money's being spent correctly. Honestly, I would rather have the autonomy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So now, was it always in the cards for you to move into directing? Um, I'm a bossy I'm a bossy type A personality, so I think directing suits me well. I love being the general in charge of an army, inspiring them and leading them into battle. Uh, that is That gets me off. It just makes me really happy. And to be able to pull things I see in my head out and collaborate with other people to bring them into to, to fruition is, it's. I mean, it, it's like Joseph Campbell says, follow your bliss, and directing is following my bliss. Oh, my God. What as you sit and you look back on the time that you spent under under the wing of Joss Whedon, what do you think about Joss influenced you the most when it comes to your directing? Not your acting, but your directing. <laughs> you know, I think the thing that I took away most from, from Joss was have a vision and see it through to the end. Don't let it get um uh manipulated by other people stay true to, to what you see in your head mm-hmm. you know and i think that's the beauty of buffy is that it is fully an envisioned uh, uh world that comes right out of his head it's not it's not played around with by studio executives and by producers and he just he brought in people that he respected and trusted and they worked together to create this amazing world and he did it his way and what- you know what i mean Absolutely. And, you know, it's funny because Drew Goddard, you know, he came and he uh-huh. picked, and he picked up the mantle from Joss and then, you know, in the, some of the final seasons of Buffy and then went on with Angel. And, and Drew stayed true to that same vision as well. Yeah. I mean, I, I just saw Jane Espenson at Etheria. She got uh, the Inspiration Award. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it was really interesting to hear Jane speak because... You know, she isn't interested in in being, like, the figurehead. She wants to take someone else's vision and bring it to life. And I, that was what was so wonderful about, you know, working on Buffy, is that, that we could all do that, whether mm-hmm. it was me or Jane or Drew. You know, everybody was there to fulfill one person's vision. And I think that's really important to realize that, that when you start splitting things up and you have, you know, 50 people trying to tell you, tell, tell you how to tell a story... It gets muddied, and Buffy was unmuddied. <laughs> mm-hmm. Very, very much so. I just can't understand though why Jaws hasn't invited you and cast you in any of the Avengers movies. I mean, really? <laughs> Maybe in the future. You know, it, it's it's fun to like see how amazing his career has has sort of become. How he's not just in television anymore. He's sort of branched out into 
every other medium Come on, possible jo- to get it to. Justin, it my mind. <laughs> he's going to rule the world one day. We all know this. But <laughs> yes, and he'll make us all iambic pentameter once he rules the world just so you know he's such a shakespeare now you know something (laughs) you know uh, something else that stood out to me about shevenge that on a short film so many people would have overlooked your scoring what you got from greg butler that scoring is so fantastic oh thank you yeah he's super talented and we had a lot of fun going and uh uh, Don Money, who is was one of our producers and also our editor and post production supervisor, because you know what it's like on a on a tiny shoestring budget. Everybody wears fifty hats. Um, he and I would go and sit with Greg and just kind of go through everything, and we really, I think, you know, hammered it into shape. He gave us such beautiful stuff, and we were able to just you know tweak it here and there, and 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 really make it you know sing. I'm really really proud of every aspect of the film. I think it came together really nicely. And you're right, the score really ties the whole thing together. Yeah, and that's one of, that really, I caught, you know, from the first notes of the music, it was like, you can tell this is an added layer. And it, as I said, it's something that is so often overlooked in short films. And you left no stone unturned, lady. Oh, thank you. I, like I said, I'm really proud of the piece. I feel like for... For about 10 minutes, you really are taken into another world. And that, that's, that's what our job is, you know. We're here to entertain and to, to take you out of your head for a little while. I would love to see Shevenge turned into a feature. It would be really neat. I was talking to David Greenman, the writer, about this uh, at Etheria. We were doing all these interviews, and everyone was like, what about Shevenge, too? <laughs> and I think David was like, I don't know how we got the short going as it was. The thought of going back and trying to raise more money to do a feature is daunting. But see, now you have the short to show people. Proof of concept. You're totally you know, right. Eve, every woman in the world would give you at least a dollar. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm taking you at your word. Where's my dollar? <laughs> I'll, give you, I'll give you more than a dollar, Amber. Trust me, I'll give you more than a dollar. I would love to see you, you know, do a follow-up or turn it into a feature. I just think it would be fabulous. It'd be a lot of fun. I'm really interested in in playing in the in the action uh, horror genre. I'm a big horror junkie, so to be able to sort of like get back into that world is really exciting for me. Well, Amber, I can't thank you enough for calling in today. I'm I've been so excited to get to talk to you about this because I'm so excited about your short. And, you know, and I just, I've loved your work for years. So, you know, now I'm going to bother Mel every chance I get and say, I want to see Amber. I want to see Amber back. Well, well, she's going to get mad at me unless I, unless I uh, tell everybody that we do have one more screening at the LA Film Festival and it's Wednesday at 845. So if anybody wants to catch Shevenge with uh, the Dude Bro Party Massacre number three, uh, they can, they can still get tickets. That's what you're paired with? Yep. Oh, That's what we're paired with. oh my God. Awesome? Oh my God. This is a must see combo at LAFF Monday. Trust it's me, amazing. people. Oh my God. <laughs> Those guys, the five second film guys are amazing. I'm I'm so impressed with, with Dude Bro. It's really, really funny. Dude Bro is hysterical. <laughs> I think we set them up very nicely. So we get the women and we get the men. <laughs> exactly. Equal opportunity. Amber That's right. Amber, thank you so much, and maybe I will even get to see you Wednesday night at the fest. I would love that. Find me. I will. Food. (laughs) (laughs) And if not, I'll walk around with a tray just for you. Yay! Thanks, Amber. All right, thank you. Bye bye. Bye.
And we're taking a short break before our next interview. We'll be right back. Behind the Lens is sponsored in part by the Culver City Observer. Located in the heart of Screenland, Culver City Observer is available in print and online at www.culvercityobserver.com. And we are back with Behind the Lens. Fun-filled morning so far. Amber Benson. That's good. Yeah, good enough. Buffy fans out there. Get over to L.A. Film Festival Wednesday night. You can see her latest directorial short, Shevenge, at L.A. Film Festival. So, and now, joining us, we now have those silver tongue devils from Diamond Tongues. Welcome, boys. Hey, how are you? Fine. How are you doing? We've got Pavan Mundi and Brian Robertson here. Um, well, we're doing fine. Um I was I was finer after I saw your movie for the first time. I've now watched it three times. Really? Really? Well, you know, I, I have to torment you tonight in a Q&A at the Arclight, too. So I have to I have to be prepared. Yeah, yeah we're looking forward to that. You know, hopefully we're going to have a big crowd out there tonight because and, you know, this is this is a fun film. And I was telling Greg uh, earlier today before we went on air that. You know, what I love about this film is you get that sense of the early Duplass brothers. Um, your lead actress, Leah Faye Goldstein, is she could be a Greta Gerwig clone. If you can't afford yeah. Greta, hire Leah. Uh, just amazing sense of comedy, a unique comedy style. Talk to me about what Diamond Tongues is and how you came up with this lovely concept. Well, I mean, I guess it's worth noting that this is the first film that Leia's ever been in, actually. She's not an actress. She's a musician. Um, she performs in this band called July Talk, which is uh, a rock and roll band from Toronto. And Pavin and I <clears throat> saw them perform at a, a festival party two years ago, and we had written a script, or Pavin had written a script, and we were looking for uh, our lead actress, and we were kind of, like, talking to a lot of different people. It just wasn't working out. And uh, we saw her performing, and she was just incredible. And uh, we knew pretty much instantly that we had to convince her to be in a film. So uh, we talked to her, and I guess it was pretty easy to convince her, right? Whatever. Yeah, I mean, we offered her the part uh, kind of at the end of the concert, so we never even auditioned her or anything like that. We just kind of gave it to her and hoped that she could act, and she ended up doing a good job. Well, trust me, whatever it took to convince her, it was well worth it because she is just, she's luminous. And as I said, her sense of comedic timing is impeccable. And I think a lot of that probably comes from the fact she is a musician, so she has that rhythmic sense. Yeah, she's, it was important for us. Well, I mean, we've, we've worked with musicians in the past, and I think it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's really beneficial in that um, if you don't have a lot of time to work with your actors, uh, you're, you end up working with people who are performative anyways, and um, they get really comfortable sort of, uh, you know, in front of the camera really quickly. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, one of the great standouts of this film is your visual tonal bandwidth. And I've got, I've got to give a huge, huge kudos to your director of photography, your cinematographer, Peter Dramanis. Amazing job. How, what was your thought process in working with Peter to come up with, the beauty of your visuals they're light the framing is beautiful and it, it you keep this very 
upbeat note through the whole film, thanks to the visual. Yeah, uh, the, uh, he's in a band with Leia, so they're they're both the singers in July Talk, and he's also a cinematographer. And so we ended up bringing them both on board because we thought that it would make Leia more comfortable to have a close relationship with the guy behind the camera. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he's also just, we had seen music videos that he had shot that were just uh, made on really small budgets but looked beautiful. And uh, we really wanted to rely on a lot of practical lighting or lighting a lot of rooms and to try to give it a natural feel, but then at the same time have these kind of sequences that are a little bit more stylized and a little bit more uh, kind of uh, visually engaging Mm -hmm. uh, so that the film, I think we wanted it to have kind of a fast pace to it. And I think we use music a lot uh, and montages a lot to kind of feel like it's always moving forward. Mm -hmm. Uh, Even if from a plot point of view, it's a relatively, uh, it's a a small story uh, that I think hopefully should feel bigger than than it is. You know, it doesn't, and so much of that, it, it's also credit to Leia, and, I mean, she is luminous on camera, and the nuance that she brings to her uh, facial expressiveness and the way just a tilt of her head, you know, just adds so much to certain scenes, and it does make everything larger than life in some respects. What, now, you guys, what, how exciting was it for you when your film ended up in Slamdance? Uh-oh, I think we lost them. I think we lost them. Oh, there they are. Oh, yeah, perfect. Sorry about that. We don't know what happened there. Are you playing on cell phones? We're not playing. No, we're not playing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I, was, I, was, I was asking you, you know, you, the film, you come out of Canada and you come down to Slam Dance. I know Slam Dance, Peter Baxter, very excited to have the Canadians in Slam Dance. How exciting yeah. was it for you to have Diamond Tongues accepted into Slam Dance, and then to see how well it was received? Uh, it was like really exciting. We when we submitted to the festival, we were almost convinced that we weren't going to get in, uh, and so we were completely surprised to be invited uh, to screen the film. And it's, it's always hard, I think, uh, making films in in Canada and trying to get them some visibility here. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think the, the second the film was announced as part of Slam Dance, it really helped elevate uh, the film's profile and get it on people's radar and uh, in a way that we never would have been able to do if we had played uh, a festival that doesn't have kind of the track record and the, the kind of history of discovering independent filmmakers that, that Slam Dance has. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the, and one of the great things about Canada, though, Canada really gets behind its independent filmmakers, true? Um, they do, I think, in a very logistical capacity, in the sense that um, a lot of films that are made here have access to government funding in the in Canada, and uh, and that's like a, a huge benefit. It's hugely helpful to help get these films made, and we were lucky to benefit from that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of uh, in terms of audiences embracing Canadian films, that there tends to be a long history of films kind of having to get recognized outside of Canada before they can get recognized within Canada. And uh, we've benefited from that as well. Like uh, premiering at Slam Dance, it instantly created a little bit of excitement for the film in Canada because it was validated outside of it first. 
and that seems to be kind of a common thing with all Canadian uh, art, with music and uh, and film. Well, I know some some of my favorite films over the years have come out of uh, Canada. I think Pon- Pontypool is one of my all time favorites. Yeah, and Bruce, Bruce is a friend of ours, actually. I think oh. that's a really great film. You know, and then of course Michael Dowsey and you know his Fubar, which yeah, <laughs> how can you not love that? Yeah, but, of course. There's a, there's, there's a lot of good art coming out of Quebec as well. Quebec's got like an amazing film scene, and um, they're making like just different kinds of films, uh, very artistic movies. Um, yeah, Dowsey is great. We we love Michael Dowsey. <laughs> now I understand that there may be a little news. To talk about on the Diamond Tongues forefront? Um, I think there will be news in the next week or so. I think we're planning to make a little bit of an announcement about kind of our release plans in the U.S. So this is kind of this is our L.A. Yeah. Uh, but at this point, we haven't announced any kind of distribution uh, deal uh, yet. Okay, because a little bird, a little birdie, said something last night. Right. So, you know, he said, ask them, ask them, see if they'll tell you. <laughs> so I have asked, but we'll keep it under wraps until your formal announcement. Cool. Thank you. <laughs> what is, where do you get ideas for films like Diamond Tongues? I think you kind of try to look at uh, your own life and the kind of things that uh, either you're struggling with or people you know are, are struggling with, and then you try to kind of put a bit of a spin on them uh, so that you can kind of do it in an entertaining way. Or uh, So I think our film is a, a little bit of a heightened version of reality, uh, but that it's grounded in, in things that hopefully people will be able to relate to. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, anybody that wants to see Diamond Tongues, you are at the Arclight in Hollywood tonight at 8 o'clock. Tickets are available. In fact, for any of our listeners, if you want to, if you call into the station right now, we'll get your name and number, or you can just email to, which is 1-800-405-6425, or you can email to BehindTheLensRadio at AOL.com, and the first caller and or emailer will get a free pair of tickets to come see your movie tonight. Awesome. Uh, and anybody else can just, they can go to Arclight online, they can show up at the theater, and I know that Peter and uh, Gretchen, uh, the Vice President of Programming with Arclight, I know they'll be very happy to take care of everybody who wants to come and see this fun film. I just have a quick uh, curious Ask question. Ask your question, yeah, Greg. Just what um, cameras did you guys shoot on, and, and how did you find that experience shooting? Uh, so we shot, sorry. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Uh, so we shot a uh, a red epic and a red scarlet, and uh, a lot of the film is shot with two cameras at once. Um, and so we're cutting back and forth between two cameras. Uh, so a lot of the uh, a lot of the scenes in the film are just one long take, uh, which is kind of hidden by the fact that we're cutting back and forth between the two cameras. Uh, but we find it to be a great experience. It, it kind of immediately gives the film uh, a little bit more of a polished look, I think, using the red cameras, and uh, we found them really portable. We used them handheld and uh, kind of in a run-and-gun way, uh, but we're gearing up to shoot another film uh, later this fall, hmm. and, I, and I think we're going to work with the same two cameras and the same kind of 
way of shooting. Just uh, very quickly, is the film already shot in your head before you guys actually start with the first day of shooting? Because I, I remember like guys like Hitchcock and De Palma always shoot the film in their head right b- before everything starts. Or does it change as production changes? Um, it changes with each take. So uh, the edit is also... Uh, sorry, when I edited the film, I ended up using almost always the last take or the second last take because we're constantly kind of reworking the scene with each take and uh, trying to make each take better than the one before it. Wow. I like that idea. So uh, today we're filled with directors who love the red, who love the red. Yeah. Yeah. Amber used a red for her film. You guys are using, you know, the the epic and the scarlet on yours. Mm -hmm. And I think the proof is in the pudding as to the caliber of the camera Uh, because your film, her film, they look spectacular. And the color, the color is rich, it's beautiful, it's vibrant, and that just adds more that much more texture to your story. Mm-hmm. So I personally can't wait to until I see the film tonight on the huge screen at the ArcLight, <laughs> because I, it's got to be eye-popping. Have you guys seen it on a screen that big yet? Not yet. Oh, wow, cool. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> sh- should we just warn them, you know, how bright and beautiful it's going to look greg it's a great venue it's a great great venue so yeah yeah we keep hearing that everyone we've talked to has been uh pretty adamant about uh just the the, the sheer like beautiful quality of the arc light and um the great sound system that they have and our film is like we have a you know our film is pretty musical we've got a lot of like wow. great canadian mm-hmm. uh, like indie bands on on the soundtrack and so we're, we're like looking forward to hearing it at the arc light and the great thing about it, it's pretty much you know it's a cinephile heaven there oh I yeah think yeah, just, yeah like, we've heard that they treat people really well there and um it's just a good experience yeah. now because this, i have to ask you before i before i let you go um the soundtrack is so great are you putting out a soundtrack from the film will there it's be one <clears throat> it's something that we always wanted to do um it was in our minds when we kind of were putting it together um I would say at this point it's 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 just possibility but we don't have any definite plans yet but um who knows? I mean, in a couple of weeks, we might be able to put something together. We'd like to, though, for sure. Uh, it definitely. I would buy it. Hmm. I've watched yeah, it. Yeah. I'd buy it. <laughs> well, guys, thank you so, so much. I will see you tonight at the Arclight at 8 o'clock. Diamond Tongues. Tickets are available. You can win a pair of tickets here uh, through Behind the Lens. And then whoever comes, stay for the Q&A, because I guarantee you it's going to be a whole lot of fun with you guys. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. And I'll see you tonight. Thanks, guys. Okay, bye now. Bye. So. I have to see that movie. You have to see it. You should come tonight. Oh. You can come for free. Yeah. You can come for free. I'm a hermit. So. Yeah. You talk talk about me and Earl and the Dying Girl. Oh, uh, well, did you love that movie? I loved that movie. You know, one of the things that I really enjoyed about the film, uh, Me and Earl and the Dying Girl, is the fact that on a meta level, it's it's about, you know, the two guys, uh, the, the two main guys. They actually spoof films, the making of films, and mm-hmm. they. But really, it's it's a movie about loving, loving movies. If you're a cinephile, you're gonna love all the little spoofs they have in there, and also it's a great friendship story mm-hmm. as well. So, I, I like the visual it. detail in there too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like very purposeful, very well thought out. Right. Right. 
but you actually, you know, you, yeah. have, you have a little something here from Olivia. Yeah, we, we both had the chance to interview Olivia Cook, And one of the great messages or themes of the movie is how no matter what place in your life you're in, life will continue to change as, as long as you pay attention to things. And I asked Olivia about how she related to the theme of me and Earl and the dying girl. And here it is. It really was, and it's completely reassuring as well that, you know, you don't completely vanish off the face of the earth. And especially doing my job, like, hopefully if I make good movies, that people, are st- if after I'm gone, people are still going to, you know, um, watch these movies and keep, like, my memory alive, and I'm going to watch movies of my friends after they've gone, and I'm ke- that's me keeping them alive. And, you know, you learn... And just re- reading books, uh, you're keeping the author alive, and it's just... It's such a reassuring thing that you don't know what you, you're not completely forgotten. Um, and I think I needed that because I, <laughs> I was hit by like mortality at 18 and I was like, oh God, like, I'm going to, I could die like tomorrow. And you know, you don't really think about that. But then I left home and I was like, I don't have the comfort and the, the reassurance of my mother there anymore, which sounds um, very, like I'm very immature. But then I was suddenly gripped by this panicky feeling that you know something could happen to my mum and uh, I wouldn't be there able to get there in time and it, but then I, I feel like you know if it, it's it's inevitable it's going to happen to everyone and you don't you don't really think about that until you you kind of faced with it and I think I needed that to just be reassured in a way so on one and it's about life changing but yeah. also you know for the purposes of behind the lens um, the great thing about this show is we're always exploring different facets of cinema cinema is never just kind of um it's not something that just stays in place it's consistently changing mm-hmm. and as long as you're a fan of of cinema it'll you'll see so many new directions before you mm-hmm. that you can you can take on you know like amber says you have to follow your bliss and if your bliss is cinema it's a great thing yeah so very much so yeah. well you know i'm gonna we're gonna shake things up and we're gonna totally mess with with our oh. sound engineer brian's you okay. know game plan here Um, And we're going to jump ahead to Inside Out because it opens on Friday. This is, it is the best feature of the year. This should get it. Really? This is best animated feature and it's definitely right now a hot contender for best feature, period. It is fantastic. And at the recent press conference, um, you have to hear, I I have to let you hear the hilarity of what ensued. Uh, as we wound down the talent portion of the press conference, which included Lewis Black, Amy Poehler, Mindy Kaling, uh, Kaling um, Phyllis Smith, and the irascible and irrepressible Bill Hader, as Scott Mance from my friend Scott Mance from Access Hollywood threw the final question to me. Oh well, I don't. I don't know how great this will be. This goes to Bill. This is said with all the love in the world, Bill. You are the Robert Osborne of film history and classic film to a whole new generation of kids. So, if you had to describe two kids what makes or what will make Inside Out a classic film that they must see, how would you describe it? (laughs) (laughs) This is the last question. It's a killer question. And and, uh, the generation is depending on it. 
Oh, it's like quote that every once in a quote that can change our lives. Oh, God. We all remember where we were the day Bill Hader described inside out our generation. That's what they're going to say when I get the Presidential Medal of Freedom. <laughs> <laughs> like a wheelchair. Officer, what he said, put inside out, man. Uh, I think it's. I think what's so great about this movie is that they chose to make a film about a time in your life that we all have to go through. You go from being young, and then you start to go. You know, when you're an adolescent, things start to change, and things start to get a little get hard for you. And a lot of movies, a lot of normal movies, don't talk about that. I wish I had that growing up, because I would go through that, and you, you look for answers, and you think you're the only one going through this thing. And they did it. In, in this, film in such a beautiful, fantastical way, you know, and um, so that's why you have to see it, you know, I, I w it's a movie I wish existed, my life would have been a little easier if yeah. this movie existed when I was a kid, you know, how's that And that was a heck of an answer from Bill. Would your life have been a little bit easier if you saw this movie as a kid? No. Okay. It would have just been a lot more fun, fun. Okay. with the beauty and the joy of the emotion of joy, as voiced by Amy Poehler in Inside Out. Oh, okay. Yeah, you know, so. but yeah, and hand in hand with that, I, I got to sit uh. down for exclusive with Jonas Rivera, the producer of the film. Okay. Uh, and Jonas is an abs. I just, he is. He follows in the footsteps of John Lasseter. He works in tandem with Pete Doctor, who directed Inside Out. And I, I got a chance to talk to him on the technical end, but also about. Because emotions, this is all inside out is all about emotions and the five emotions inside the head of an 11 year old girl. Right. But what's very interesting is through Pixar's history in Pixar films, we have characters that are front and center and others get relegated. Each of the emotions here is treated with the same amount of equitability, either mm. with time on screen or through dialogue. So I talked to, I t mentioned it to Pete uh, in the press conference, but then Jonas and I talked in more detail. So, Brian, let's go to Jonas 2. You know, I asked Pete about it in the press conference, about the equitability of yeah. emotion. Yeah, Which, that's something that I have not seen in a Pixar film before, where <coughs> everybody's essentially on an equal playing field in terms of the time allotment within the film. Yeah. They may not always be front and center visually, right. but then they're worked into the dialogue. Yeah. So, every all the emotions are getting their fair share yeah yeah that that's i'm glad you said that and our editor kevin nolting deserves a lot of credit because i think he really made sure that the film was load balanced not only narratively but in terms of the entertainment value and mm -hmm. who said what but even <clears throat> i was talking to lewis um you know because lewis is so funny and anger is such a, a show stealing like my kids love anger and all that but even the line he has a great line in it that that i didn't expect from him and it's it's just a simple when you know it's all gone bad and there's nothing they can do and Lewis says what have we done and he says it and it's really it's like you get that he's not just pissed off all the time he cares about yeah. Riley right? it's self-harm yeah it is and it's it really got me last time I saw that that it was when you said that today that's what I thought of like yeah I'm glad that that's we tried to give them all a shade to they're, they, they're all 
on one level, one note and funny, but on a, we hope on another level, they're all in service of Riley. And if, if you care about Riley, then you care about them doing a good job, mm -hmm. as they do, right? And, yeah, once you see the film, have you seen it yet? I haven't seen it, no. You better see it. Yeah, I missed a couple of screenings. I think I might actually pay some hard-earned money. This is worth hard-earned cash. Okay. okay. And I think we have time for one more clip where Jonas expounds further about the editing and finding the emotional beats. How difficult and challenging was it to make sure that your editing found that beat so that as you're going down, before you go too far down, you, you've got that happiness, that slap happiness to elevate people yeah, again. Yeah, it's a great question. And I think one of the great challenges of this film, because, there, there, I mean, there were, just to be totally honest, there were cuts of the film that you could feel tipping to being too... I want to say it almost felt like it would get depressing. Mm -hmm. What we wanted was emotion, right? So, uh, you know, there were a couple scenes, like the memory dump where she's down there, and, and then with the family having their moment, and in aggregate when they were all together and strung together without thinking about the whole motion picture and this is what we call sequence-itis because you'll get so embedded in a sequence and when you string them together oh it doesn't it doesn't ring the way we wanted it to or it was too heavy and so Kevin Nolte went in and he load I don't know even I couldn't even tell some of it is minuscule it's amazing Pete's such an animator he'll say things like I think we need to take two frames out of that shot I'm like, oh my god and then he does and you f it does feel differently mm -hmm. and so there's this weird voodoo skill that he and Pete have together that they can just get just a right timing on that exhale mm -hmm. or an extra two frames of black before the next thing pops up that just lets it breathe I, I couldn't even really speak to it more than that it's I, I think it's magic but they know it and you know it when you see it you know and I think that my, that the danger of it was that yeah if, if, if in in lesser hands of an editor I think the movie could have easily tipped into being too heavy but what I so that was a great clip yeah I mean the beats of editing and, yeah, yeah Jonas is and I'm so glad that Pete Doctor is voodoo mm -hmm. and we're getting we're getting a cue we are out of time again I'll see you next week. We have we have more more audio we didn't get to. Hopefully we can fit it in next week. Uh, next week we will have uh, one of our future filmmakers calling in nice. to start our summer of fun with future filmmakers and other stuff. And I don't even know what it is at this point because I think I've been up for you know 150 hours <laughs> with two hours sleep over the past week. Okay, well, I will see you next week. I'll be back and. Well, it'll be lovely to have you nice. back. Okay. So everybody, tonight, still, email BehindTheLensRadio at AOL.com if you want a chance to win tickets to uh, Arclight Slam Dance Cinema Club screening tonight of Diamond Tongues. Uh, tickets are still available at the box office, and hope we see you there. Mm -hmm.